Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. So uh, we're in this series, Impact, and uh, this is ser- uh, sermon number two. I want to begin with a little rock and roll trivia this morning. I want to show you this picture and see if you can tell me who that is. Anybody know who that is? Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Did you recognize the video when we played it this morning? Yeah, I see that did that for the dads, because the dads... They like a you know Tom Petty track now and then. That's good for the soul, I think. Uh, I, I'm, I'd like to think God was a Tom Petty fan. I, I mean, I'd like to think that. Um, this picture was taken for the back page of a rock magazine in 1977, and uh, it's one of my favorite bands. I love listening to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Sadly, Tom Petty passed away in October of 2017, rather suddenly. He died at the age of 66. And thus came to the, an end one of the great rock bands of our era and of our generation. Just uh, the, the library of music that this band kicked out over 40 years was amazing. And um, you probably know it. You may not recognize them. You may not be into Tom Petty. But I bet you've heard some songs and you'd know them if you heard them. Um, great rock band. They had, a, they had a, a guy in their band named Ben Montinch who's still alive. Um, an unbelievably talented keyboard player, played with the band from 1977 until its end in 2017. Mike Campbell was their guitar player with them from the very beginning, uh, played with them all the way through right up until the time of Tom's death. And uh, now, I don't know if you know this or not, but he's out on the road with Fleetwood Mac. And he's, he's one of their guitar players. Had a great 40-year run with the band. There's a, <clears throat> there's a documentary. I love watching what they call Rock Docs, which is documentaries about different bands. And the one on Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers is fantastic. It's called Running Down a Dream. It used to be on Netflix. I think it's not on Netflix anymore, but just dads, my gift to you for Father's Day this morning. Moms, write this down for him. There's a website called Quello, Q-E-L-L-O.com, and it's loaded with uh, rock documentaries and concert footage of of thousands and thousands of, of entertainers. And you can see that, that documentary, Running Down a Dream, on that app or on that website. And um, it's just fascinating to watch the band talk about the ups and downs of, of putting a band together, <clears throat> taking it on the road, writing music, all the ups and downs of interpersonal relationships. You don't throw that many people together and put them in confined spaces and that kind of creative energy going on that you don't occasionally run into some difficulties and some problems. And certainly, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were not uh, strangers to that. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a study in interpersonal relationships to watch a documentary like that. Uh, over the years, the band will change some. A guy named Ron Blair, who was the bass player, drops out of the band in 1981. He started with them in 77, drops out in 81. There's a drummer named Stan Lynch who, who drops out of the band in 1994. And as you watch the documentary, it's just a case study in how some people come together and how some people drift and how they fracture. Our series, Impact, is looking at six characters that Paul highlights in his letter to the Colossian church in chapter 4. And he calls attention to 11 characters. We are taking a closer look at six of those characters uh, in this series want to read this passage to you from Colossians chapter 4. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus sends you his greeting. So Aristarchus is imprisoned with Paul as he writes this. As does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, 
And then parenthetically, he says, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, Paul is wrapping up this letter. He's talking about Aristarchus, and then he drops in this line. Hey, Marcus, Mark, Barnabas' cousin, sends his greetings as well. If he comes to you, welcome him. This morning, we're going to talk about three people. We're going to talk about Barnabas, we're going to talk about Mark, and we're going to talk about Paul. These three people are very central to what happens as the church is just getting off the ground. I want to show you a map this morning. Um, Jesus is crucified in Jerusalem. It's just a, a couple of months out, and, and after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected, the city of Jerusalem begins to explode with all of these people who become followers and believers in Jesus. And it, it turns into thousands of followers uh, within just a couple of months, and then within 30 years, the message of Christianity has spread all across that whole region. It's gotten all the way up into Alexandria, Egypt. It's gotten into Turkey and Greece. It spreads all the way up to the Italian peninsula, makes its way to Rome. And 30 years later, there are all these churches and all these believers around the Mediterranean rim. And just let me add this. This happened without Twitter, okay? This happened without Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and LinkedIn. I know you find that hard to believe, that, that we could do anything without any of those particular devices. No radio, no TV, no internet. The message of Christ spread throughout the whole Mediterranean rim, and these people are largely responsible for that happening. Mark, Barnabas, and Paul. So if you're brand new to the Bible, and I understand that we have some people that go to church here that, that aren't all that familiar with their Bible, and that's okay. We want you to become familiar with it, but it takes time. I want to show you uh, a table of contents from the New Testament. What you have in front of you are the books of the Bible. Um, what's, what I would tell you is that you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are what we refer to as the Gospels. Uh, four different men who wrote different accounts, you know, descriptions of the life of Jesus. You might think about it as four different camera lenses, right? Like you see the life of Jesus through the lens of Luke, or you see it through the lens of John. And we call those, those four books the Gospels, which means good news. And then right after you, you see that, you see the book of Acts, um, and, and, and Jesus dies and ascends, and what you know, the question is, what happened next? Well, where did, how does the church develop? <clears throat> what, who, who, who's responsible, and what are the, the things that, that take place? Well, the book of Acts is really the actions of the apostles, and it is here that you see the message of Jesus spreading throughout the world. So these three characters, Mark, Barnabas, and Paul, are very important to the story today, and they're very important to the early spread of the message of Christianity. So as we talk about Mark, there's one word that I want you to think about as we talk about Mark, and that word is reconciliation. When you think about Mark, when you hear his name today, I want you to think about reconciliation. When you hear that word reconciliation, it just, it kind of assumes that there's been a breakup of some kind. Something has happened. There's, these kind of conversations are always a little bit uncomfortable. Because the whole idea of reconciliation assumes that there's been a falling out. There's been two people who didn't get along. Uh, they once were close, and now they're not so close, and now they don't experience joy when they're in the same room together. Uh, I, I've heard a statistic for several years now 
Um, I've heard this said different ways. I've heard it in sermons. I've heard it in you know, speeches and online stuff that I watch. And I've seen it on Twitter. People talk about this. It's a statistic that basically says that there's a very good chance that 10 years ago, someone was in your circle of friends that you were close to, that you, you felt an affinity to, you were close to them. 10 years ago, you were close, and today, you're not. Right? Like, you were tight, best buddies, and now, not so much. And it's not that they moved away, it's not that they worked with you and then they work at some other job, no. There's been a falling out, there's been some hurt feelings, there's been something that has happened that has caused this tight-knit relationship to not be so tight and not be so close anymore. It's likely that the last 10 years you have experienced a parting of ways with someone that you were pretty close to. Now let me just continue that cheery thought, okay? Let's project ourselves 10 years into the future, and the odds are pretty good that in your circle of friends right now, people that you say, I'm close to them, I love them, we're buddies, you know, we're sisters, we, we get along, there is a pretty good chance that somebody in that circle 10 years from now won't be in that circle. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Aren't you glad you're getting encouragement today? Um, I, I, you know, I want this to be a, a, a hopeful conversation. So today we're going to talk about how people come together and how they drift apart about, you know, the way things were and about the way things might be. So, um, you know, I showed you a little Tom Petty to start the morning and you heard a little Tom Petty music before the, the day got started. So today the theme is kind of a band theme. We're talking about the, the, the five parts of a story. Let's talk about it in terms of a band, five parts of the band. And part number one is the building of the band. We're putting the band together, okay? When it comes to Mark and Barnabas, who were these guys? What was their background and what were they about? We will begin with Mark. Mark is someone who is in very close proximity to the people who would have had eyewitness accounts of Jesus, all right? Um, Mark's mentor was Peter. Peter spent a lot of time with Jesus, and so Peter mentors Mark. In fact, at one point in one of the letters that Peter writes in the New Testament, he makes reference to Mark, and he calls Mark, Mark, my son. So it's like he's a son in the faith, right? Like that's how close Peter felt to Mark. Um, if Mark didn't spend time with Jesus, he spent a lot of time with people who were very, very close to Jesus. And when you go back and you look at the table of contents in the New Testament, you see that Mark is one of the biographers of Jesus. And he wrote one of the gospel accounts because he had access to the people who had been in close proximity to Jesus. He interviewed him, he talked to him, he listened to him tell stories. And so he wrote to talk about what he had been told about Jesus. So while I'm here, let me just uh, explain to you one dynamic about this story today. It's rather interesting. Everybody in the story that we're going to talk about today has two names, right? Just kind of weird. Um, Mark is also called John. Mark or Marcus would be his Roman name, and John would have been his Jewish name. And you'll also sometimes see him referred to as John Mark. You'll hear me refer to him today as John Mark. Second person in the story is one of my favorites. One of my favorite characters in the whole Bible is the character of Barnabas. Now, one of the first times that Barnabas shows up, it has to do with money. As the Jesus community grew in Jerusalem, as it got bigger and bigger, the needs got bigger and bigger. And once in a while, 
you would have a widow or an orphan or someone who couldn't help themselves, um, they would need the help of their spiritual brothers and sisters. And so in Acts chapter 4, you read that once in a while, uh, you know, followers of Jesus might sell a house or they might sell a field or they would sell something that was of value. And the Bible uses this expression, they would bring that money and they would lay it at the apostles' feet. And basically what they were saying is what many of you have said. Many of you have, have stroked a check and brought it to the church and said, hey, I want this to go to help a certain thing. You might know of a certain person that's struggling and you'll write a check and say, I don't want them to know it's for me, but I want them to get this help because I know they need it and I'm just giving this to you and let you be the, the conduit for that. Um, they would lay it at the apostles' feet. And so Barnabas is one of the ones that's cited in Acts chapter 4 as an example of someone who had a field or a house and he sold it and he took the money and he brought it and he just put it at the feet of the, of the apostles and let them have it. Now, his name wasn't Barnabas when he did that. His name was Joseph. But because of that kind of activity and because of that kind of attitude, Barnabas gets his name and the name Barnabas literally means son of encouragement. That's what it means. And so throughout the rest of the New Testament, you don't see Barnabas referred to as Joseph. You see Barnabas referred to as Barnabas. Now think about it. Don't you love those kind of people? Don't you love to spend time with people who are encouraging people that, chances are good that the people that you most like to spend your time with are people that make you feel good about you. They're probably people who encourage you. They're probably people that, that, that lift you up and make you feel a little better. So there are three characters in the story. I've told you about Mark, who had access to eyewitness accounts. I've told you about Barnabas, the encourager. The third is Paul. And when we first meet him, he too has another name. When we first meet him, he is Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. So Saul is Jewish, but he was not raised around Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem as a teenager, and he's going to do an internship under one of the great rabbis of the day. Great opportunity educationally for Paul, and so he takes that opportunity to go to Jerusalem uh, in his early teens. Saul is also bilingual. He's bilingual. He, perfectly, he is perfectly comfortable in a Jewish context, but he is also very, very comfortable in a Greek and Roman context. His dad um, would have you know, been, uh, had a Roman citizenship, and so that would have been very natural for him. Saul grew up in Tarsus. Tarsus was a university town, not unlike Terre Haute, Indiana, and uh, it is likely that Saul, as he grew up, learned five different languages. Think about that, five different languages. He likely spoke Hebrew and Aramaic because of his Jewish background, but he also likely spoke Greek and Latin because of his dad and his Roman citizenship. And then Paul grew up in an area, uh, you see Antioch and you see Tarsus, that area up in there, that is a region known as Cilicia, so Paul likely spoke Cilician as well. And it's at this point that it's, it's not the Apostle Paul. He is Saul the persecutor. He is uh, causing problems. Saul believes that all of these people who are coming to Christ, all these people who are following Jesus in this new organization that they're, they're calling the Way, uh, Paul believes that that is a cult. And, and Paul was a, Saul of Tarsus, really, was a... a uh, a person who loved God as he understood God, he loved God deeply. And he saw this as a cult that needed to be eradicated. So with great fervor, he would go around, he would kick in doors, he would 
locate Christians, round them up, take them off, and a lot of times have them persecuted, sometimes have them uh, slaughtered. And, um, you know, so because of Saul, the church scatters because you want to stay safe, you want to stay alive, and if you did, you, want, you, you better run. Now, many of the Christians who got out of Jerusalem make their way north to the city of Antioch. That is about a 300-mile jaunt, okay? That's how far they went to get away from Saul. That's how scary this guy was. You did not want to be in a city and be a Christian if Saul was in that city. He was going to make sure that you got hurt. And so Saul is on his way to Damascus one day. He's on his way to Damascus so that he can round up Christians and have them persecuted. And an interesting thing happens. It's known as Saul's conversion experience. He sees a bright light. It blinds him. And he hears a voice that says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, well, you know, who are you? And a voice says, uh, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. And as you would su suspect, this radically changes Saul's life. It does not, however, change his intensity. Uh, Saul is eventually going to become Paul, and he's going to carry with him that same intensity with which he did everything. And now, all of his intensity, all of his efforts, all of his passions are going to be funneled into the spread of the message of the love of Jesus. Now, can you imagine if you're one of the apostles in Jerusalem and this guy rolls back into town and he wants to have a meet and greet with the apostles of the church of Jesus Christ, you know, somebody comes to you and says, hey, Saul of Tarsus would like to meet with you. Um, you know, I'm thinking, I don't think so. Saul says, no, really, I'm a changed man. I'm a changed man. I'm not that guy anymore. And the apostles are thinking, no way do we want to meet with you. But somebody steps in to make the introduction between Saul the persecutor, the former persecutor, and the apostles of Christ. Who do you think that person is? It's Barnabas. It's Barnabas, the encourager. So you think about it, we may not have what we have as the church today if this person Barnabas does not exist. He is the liaison. He is the one who, who bridges the gap between these apostles and this person who's new to the faith, who has done great damage to the church up until this time. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, brings these two together. 300 miles north in the city of Antioch, there are believers who have run from the persecution of Saul. Barnabas will end up leading the church there. And Antioch is an interesting place. Antioch has some special challenges. It wasn't just Jewish people who were coming to faith. There were also some people who were Greek that were coming to faith. And so Barnabas is thinking to himself, you know, I've got some special challenges. Where can I find somebody who works perfectly in a Jewish context, but also works perfectly within a Greek-Roman context, and he knows exactly who he needs? So he goes to Tarsus, and he finds Saul, and he leads him back to Antioch, and so now, think about this, you're a pastor, your name is Barnabas, and your associate pastor is a guy named Saul of Tarsus. You're in Antioch. You've got all these people in the church who fled Jerusalem to get away from Saul, and now he shows up and he's one of your pastors. And he says, hi, my name is Saul. And somebody takes a step back and says, I know exactly who you are. You persecuted my brother. You imprisoned my sister. We were there when you broke into the room and we were able to get out the back way, but you scared us to death. I don't want anything to do with you. 
Someone looks at Saul and says, yeah, you, you had my, my daughter murdered. You had my son murdered. I know exactly who you are. Can you imagine the conversations that were happening in Antioch? And so John Mark also has moved to Antioch, and so you have this kind of dream team starting to form 300 miles north of Jerusalem. We call this the building of the band. But things are about to change because it is upon the heart of God to be known. God created us for his beauty, and he created the, the, he created the beauty around us to, to testify to his goodness and the fact that he loves us, to say, I want you to know that I'm here and I want you to know me, and he wants people to know that his love for them is deep through the coming of Jesus. He wants people to know of his mercy. He wants people who have failed and fallen far from God. He wants them to know that he loves them and that it's never too late for them to come back. God wants to be known. And so this happens in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In other words, I want people to know me. I want you to, they need to leave this community and they need to go out and spread the news. We come to part two in the story. The band hits the road. Verse three. After they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So they are going to leave Antioch and they're going to travel south to the coast where they will board a boat bound for Cyprus and the city of Salamis. You can see it in the southeast part of the map. They will travel by foot across Cyprus, which is about a 100-mile journey, uh, to the city of Paphos. There they will board another boat, and they will head up toward the southern coast of Turkey and eventually hit Perga and all points beyond. They get in the boat. They are literally on the same page. Okay, Everything's great. They get on the boat. Things are good. We are told that Mark is traveling with Saul and Barnabas as their helper. So you have Barnabas, you have Paul, and you have Mark. And they're all in the same boat, literally and figuratively. And I would just say this. Many relationships start like that. Marriages, couples, churches, partnerships, businesses, companies, they start that way. Everything's good. Everybody's on the same page. We're all in the same boat. The launch, and it's all good. Saul, Barnabas, and Mark. Let me take you back to the map for a minute. They travel across the island of Cyprus from Salamis to Paphos, and there's something very interesting that happens in Paphos. We read about that in Acts 13. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. So what you have is you have this governor of the island of Cyprus, and he wants to hear about Jesus. He summons Paul and Barnabas, hey, come tell me more about Jesus. Then they get on a boat, they sail north to the town of Perga. Everybody is on mission. Everybody believes in the cause. Everybody believes in each other, right? No. Part three, desertion. Look at verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia where John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. So what we have is Mark bails on the trip. He leaves them. So here's a question. What in the world happened? What happened between leaving 
for Cyprus and getting to Cyprus and all this great stuff happens in Paphos and they, they talk to the governor there. And now they arrive in Perga and they're not all on the same page. They're not getting along. It's not good. One of them leaves. Why? We don't know. <laughs> we can only call it a falling out. We only know that they didn't get along. We only know that something happened to cause a rift between these men. Now we hear something like this and we want details, don't we? What happened? Who said what? What did they do? How did they do it? Why did they do it? What in the world would result in Mark saying, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm leaving and I'm going back. And Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, he also writes the story of Jesus in his gospel account. Luke isn't telling us. All he says is Mark left and he returned to Jerusalem. Luke would later travel very extensively with Paul. Um, I think it's very likely that Luke knows what happened between John Mark and Barnabas and Paul. I think, I think Luke probably knows, but he doesn't say. He only gives us enough that in such a way as to preserve the reputations of those involved. He knows, but he's not saying. There's a lesson here for all of us in the room. Just because you know the details of a conflict doesn't mean that you have to share the details of a conflict. Just because you know the details within the context of a marriage or a church or a family or a school does not mean that it's healthy to share those details. Well, Brett, what if it's true? Well, here's the thing. There sometimes is a higher question as to whether or not something is true. Sometimes the question is, is it helpful? Not as if, if it's true, but is it helpful? Ephesians 4, chapter verse, uh, Ephesians 4 verse uh, 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You say, well, Brett, it's, but it's true. Well, it might be true, but is it helpful? Luke knows, and he's not saying. That does not, however, keep us from speculating. There are some words that you see in two verses that I want to put side by side for you. You first see the second part of verse 7 in Acts 13. It says, the proconsul an intelligent man sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. I want you to notice the order. Barnabas and Saul. Then in verse 13, something has happened, and now we read, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga. Barnabas is getting top billing in verse 7. Paul is getting top billing in verse 13. And you're asking yourself, what happened? How does it go from Barnabas and Saul to now Paul and his companions. Well, what we know is Mark was Barnabas' cousin. Does Mark say, hey, I signed up for his trip, meaning Barnabas. I didn't sign up for Paul's trip. I signed up to serve under the leadership of Barnabas. I didn't sign up to be under the leadership of Paul. And if that's the way it's going to be, I'm out. And you say, but Brett, hold on. It doesn't say that that he bailed, it doesn't say that he deserted, it says he went back to Jerusalem. Maybe everybody is okay with this. No, everybody is not okay with this. A couple of years later, everybody is back home after trip number one. 
And it started out as a trio. It ends as a duet. It started out with Mark and Barnabas and Paul. It ends up with Barnabas and Paul continuing the last legs of the trip. And a time comes, a couple of years later, and Paul and Barnabas are having a conversation, and Paul says to Barnabas, hey man, we need to go back and see how those new Christians are doing and check on them and make sure they're doing okay. And Barnabas says, hey, that's a great idea. Let's do that. I'll go get Mark. And Paul says, what? No. No, we're not taking Mark on this trip. And Barnabas is like, no, I really think it'll be better this time. Let me go get Mark, and we'll take him with us. And Paul says, Mark's not going on the trip. He's not ready, he's not mature, and now you enter into an argument. Barnabas says, yes, he is. Paul says, no, he's not. They go back and forth, yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. And what started out as being a disruption between Paul and Mark has now turned into a disruption between Paul and Barnabas, and they literally split up. Barnabas goes one way and he takes Mark. Paul picks a guy named Silas and he goes another way. And here it is, the band breaks up. Luke doesn't use a lot of needless words. He doesn't place blame. He simply says this is what happened. Acts chapter 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. In other words, let's go follow up. Let's check in on them. Let's see how they're doing. Look at the next verse. Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Well, Brett, how bad was it? Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for, the, for Cyprus But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Back to the map, what you find happening is you see Barnabas and Mark teaming up and they're going to go to Cyprus and Paul and Silas go a whole other direction. They say, we're just going to take this region up here. I mean, that's a hard compromise, right? It's hard to compromise. Either he goes or he doesn't go. There's not a a way you can kind of fudge that. There's not a way that you can kind of give a little on that. He's either going on the trip with us or he's not going on the trip. It's one or the other. There's not any middle ground on this. Here's what I want you to understand. Paul and Barnabas are not spiritual lightweights. Okay? These are not two guys that are unfamiliar with Jesus and what Jesus expects of a Jesus follower. These are not two guys who enter into things lightly. These are very spiritually mature believers, and these two very spiritually mature believers come to an impasse, and they are not getting along. And if you just think about it, it kind of looks like Barnabas leans toward mercy, like, hey, let's, you know, let's give a second chance, and it kind of looks like Paul kind of leans toward justice, like, no, you made your bed and you lie in it. And mercy and justice are wonderful virtues, but they can at times come into conflict when it comes to personnel. Second chance or no second chance? And Paul says, I will not work with that man. I refuse 
to work with him. Which is why it's so stunning. About 14 years later, Paul is writing to the Colossians and we read this. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Two things to note. Mark is willing. Mark is, first of all, working with Paul. And Paul writes him a letter of recommendation. And you say, what? Mark is working for Paul? And not only is Paul okay with that, but Paul writes a letter of commendation for Mark? Part five, the reunion. What happened? What happened? How do these guys have such a stark disagreement, split up, and now you're hearing stories about Mark is, is if he comes to you, welcome him. 14 years happened. Part of what happened is 14 years. Paul and Mark reconcile. We are not told how they mended the rift, only that they mended the rift. Last weekend, we looked at this last letter that Paul would write um, before he faced an execution, and he's saying things like, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Timothy, I'm not going to get out of here alive. I'm likely going to die in prison. I understand that. And he's telling Timothy where everybody has gone. He says, Crescus has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Demas has deserted me, and he's gone back to Thessalonica. He's not even a follower anymore. And then there's this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to this. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. And the story ends with, hey, Timothy, if you, if you find Mark, bring him with you because he's been helpful to me in my ministry. This is a reunion. There are two terms or two words with reconciliation that I want to call your attention to. You would read it, we, either we are not right with each other or we are now right with each other. It comes down to one letter in the alphabet. Probably two things happened over the 14 years. Mark probably matured. He probably grew up some. <coughs> Paul probably softened over 14 years. And it wasn't just that Paul was willing to work with Mark. Mark is willing to work with Paul. He is helpful to me in my ministry. Apparently, Mark is now willing to submit to Paul's authority as a leader. We are not right with each other. We are now right with each other. So, Brett, what's the lesson? All strained relationships need not remain strained. And not every broken relationship needs to remain broken. Paul and Mark were both mature believers. They had good hearts. They had good will. They just had a major falling out. Now, 
It would be easy to listen to this message and to apply it in places where it doesn't belong. This is where this message should not be applied. This is not advice on how you deal with a pathological liar in your life. This is not advice for that. This is not advice. If you have a son or a daughter who's stealing from you to get money to support a drug habit, this is not advice on how to reconcile something like that. That's not what we're talking about. In a situation where you suspect that children are not safe in a specific home around a specific individual, this is not advice on how to deal with that. That's for another day. This message of reconciliation does not refer to those type things. Neither Paul nor Mark were dangerous people. They were mature people. And they had good hearts. They just fell out. And they were able to reunite. So what do we do with this? I want to offer you three ideas before we close. Number one, be slow to write people off. Be slow to write people off. Paul didn't write Mark off, and Mark didn't write Paul off forever. Sometimes people do not change but sometimes they do. Leave room in your heart for some maturing to happen. Leave room in your heart for some time to pass. Leave room in your heart for some things to be cultivated. Number two, allow yourself to heal. Sometimes God is trying to heal us and we fight to keep wounds open that really need to close up. Allow yourself to heal. Be willing to heal. Wounds that get in, open wounds get infected, and when they get infected, it can destroy the whole body. Number three, seek opportunities to engage. Look for little opportunities to speak, opportunities to speak truth into someone's life in some way. One of the best ways to do that is if, they're, if they get bad news, something bad happens, they're in mourning, or they got really bad news, you might reach out to them, send them a note, send them a text. Hey, I heard what happened. I'm so sorry. I wouldn't wish anything like that on you. I'm so sorry you're going through that. If there's anything I could do to help you, please know that I would love to help you. That might be the, the words that you would use to begin a process of reconciliation so that you can bring two people who were once close back together who've gone through something. Another way that you might be able to do it is if they get good news, if there's some reason to celebrate, if there's a victory, for you to be big enough to pick up your phone and send a text, hey man, heard what happened, I think it's awesome, I rejoice with you. I'm happy for you. I want nothing but the best for you and your family. I'm so thrilled that that's happened in your life. Share the victory. Let them know that you're in their corner. On October 2nd, 2017, Tom Petty suddenly died. He had been rocking for over 40 years. They were engaged in a 40th anniversary tour. Their bass player, Ron Blair, who is on the right in this picture, was with the band when it started in 1977. In 1981, he stepped out and they replaced him with someone named Howie Epstein. And Ron Blair took about 20 years away from the band, and Howie Epstein filled in. Uh, he brought great dynamics to the band, but Howie had some trouble as well. 
And then Howie eventually passed away and they invited Ron to rejoin the band and he rejoins them in 2002 and he would remain with them until the band's end in 2017. That's a rock band. A rock band figured out how to reconcile. A rock band figured out how to go through a hard time and put the past behind them and say, you know what, let's make the past the past. Let's move past all this. Let's look to a brighter day. Let's look to a better day. Ron, come back and join us. That's a rock band. Listen, if Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers can reconcile, don't you think maybe followers of Jesus could learn how to reconcile? Shouldn't those of us who have come to know Jesus and say we love him and know his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy and are fully devoted to him, shouldn't we anticipate that once in a while there are going to be some broken relationships? Once in a while, mature believers aren't always going to get along. But that doesn't mean that it has to be a split forever. Maybe you take a little time away. But eventually you say, you know what? We're bigger than that. This isn't what Jesus wants for us. I pray that many of us would find ourselves moving from we are not okay to we are now okay. This is the mercy and grace of God that speaks healing into our lives. It is the reason that Jesus came and died to reconcile things and people together. And so today, what I think is possible is that some of you, it's Father's Day, but it's just another day to you because you and your dad aren't getting along. And you're pretty sure he doesn't want to hear from you and maybe you don't want to hear from him. You make a phone call today. You risk it. You lay your pride down. You say, Dad, love you. I want you to know you matter. I want you to know I'm sorry. For my part, I'm sorry. Don't know what you, how you're going to react. I don't know what you're going to say or what you're going to do. I just want you to know, for me, I'm sorry. Maybe it's not your dad. Maybe it's a brother or sister. Maybe it's a best friend. Maybe it's, you know, a roommate from college. I don't know what the circumstance would be, but it's somebody that you need to send a text. You need to t you, there needs to be some action on your part. You need to lay down your pride and humble yourself, Philippians 2, and look like Jesus and say, you know what? I'm going to put that behind me. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to be bigger. I rejoice with you. I'm happy for you. Or, I'm so sorry. If there's anything I can do to help you, please call on me. I would love to help you. Room this size with this many people, somebody's walked in here this morning with some reconciling to do. And it's not all on you, but there's a part of it that you could do. And I'm just wondering if you're a big enough believer and if, if, if enough of the forgiveness of Christ has invaded your life that you can say, you know what, I've been forgiven of a great many things. I think it's time for me to forgive. And you, you take the first step in reconciliation. Let's pray together. I want to pray over your relationships this morning. Father, you made dads. How 
How awesome are dads? Leaders, strong examples, sometimes examples of how not to do it, but examples. And God, we are so blessed to have had fathers. And if there's some estranged father-son or father-daughter relationships in this room this morning, pray that you would use our time together to spur a reconciliation. Father, it might have nothing to do with dad. It might have something to do with a best friend. It might have something to do with a sister or a brother. It might be mom. And I just need to reach out and I need to make it right as far as I can make it right. Romans 12, 18. In as much as it depends on me, I want to be at peace with all men. And so God, what are you calling me to do? What would you have me to do? Father, I pray that you would help us to be big enough spiritually mature enough to lay our weapons down, lay our pride down, and to forgive and to reconcile. And I pray that you would do whatever is necessary on the other end to make that something that is successful. Father, we pray all these things under the canopy of your love and grace and forgiveness, praising you for the way you have loved and given us mercy and grace, asking you to help us do that with others. Pray it in Jesus' name.